Is Russia a threat to democracy? Today on The Curious Task, I speak with Paul Robinson. Welcome to The Curious Task from the Institute for Liberal Studies, where we explore economics, politics, philosophy, and other ideas from a classical liberal perspective. I'm Alex Aragona, your host, and today I'm speaking with Paul Robinson. In a previous life, Paul was a military officer. He served in the British Army Intelligence Corps and in the Canadian Forces Reserves. He was also a media research executive in Moscow in 1995. He is now a professor at the University of Ottawa. His research focuses generally on military affairs and international relations. More recently, his focus has been on Russian history, military history, defense policy, and military ethics. Having published six books, he has also written widely for the international press on political issues. He also keeps a regular blog called Irrationality, which focuses on the relationship between Russia and the West and the irrational decision-making processes that dominate international relations. And he was also a previous guest on this podcast. I encourage you to check out his first episode with me on the futility of foreign intervention. Paul, welcome back to The Curious Task. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. It's great to have you on. So, Paul, our question today is, is Russia a threat to democracy? And I think this is a great gateway into a larger discussion about the nature of the uh, Russian threat to democracy, at least the one that's foretold, and you know what is being claimed should happen in response and what the impact of these responses might potentially be. So I- I'm just going to pick a place to start, and I'd like to do, do so here. Can you, um, c- can we, I guess, do a high-level tour of the many claims that have been leveled against Russia over the past few years or so. Of course, we can talk about specific case studies and things like that, but it seems to me that in the West uh, these days, or at least in the past 10 years maybe, you know, direct meddling or invasion isn't really the kind of Russian boogeyman or concern that we often hear about. We're talking about, you know, now disinformation, electoral influence, uh, you know, meddling with democracy, things of that sort. Is that mostly cor- correct what I'm saying for Western nations? Is that really the narrative right now about the the quote unquote Russian threat? But that's that's one of the, the, the threats which people talk about. So ever since really, um, but it's all began really with, with the problems in Ukraine in 2014, when you started getting this talk of hybrid war. Right. Um, but it really took off with the uh, election of Donald Trump and the claims of electoral interference in, in the United States. And then, of course, this whole Russiagate thing, which was um, this enormous conspiracy theory that Trump was really a, you know, a Russian agent and had been recruited by the Soviet secret services 30 years ago in order to undermine America. And they gradually pushed him up into the presidency. And there was this famous dossier by this guy called Christopher steal with his allegations about the PP tapes. I don't know if you remember all that yes, stuff. Yes, yes. It's burned um, into my memory. <laughs> you know, we had this massive Mueller investigation um, in, in the United States um, and tons of books published about, you know, collusion and how Rush, Trump was really working on behalf of the Russians um, at the end of which, um, you know, real evidence, well, actually no evidence at all that Trump was working on behalf of the Russians um, was was ever revealed. Um, and of course, this has then sort of created a um, large industry of people um, who are dedicated to, you know, unearthing, you know, um, evils of Russian disinformation and meddling and so on, not just in the United States, but, but everywhere else, in, in, including Canada. And so we, we've had, 
you know, several years now of, of allegations of, of of this sort. A couple of different things going on there. There's the the more general discussion about you know Russian disinformation and like propaganda coming into the West and influencing people's decisions. And you know, of course, during especially during the 2016 election, there was like spe- specific things about bots on the internet and so on and so forth directly influences people's thoughts. But then I want want to park that for just a second to go back to the Donald Trump thing for a sec because I guess here was a case where not only were people saying. All that other stuff I just mentioned were happening. But the Donald Trump thing was a case where they said, as you were just starting to talk about that, he's actually, some people say so far back as an as an agent of Russia for a long period of time, or at the very least, there was some sort of collusion at some point around the election. Um, and I just want to drill a bit deeper into you said that they're ultimately, after all this hullabaloo wasn't really much to be said as far as the evidence um in some people's minds that's still a controversial claim can you of course there could be a whole three hours we do together on everything that happened here but can you get into a little more about what exactly you mean by like they're not being much to say about the evidence in the way of of everything after all this well what really did happen if anything in your mind it's kind of hard to spend a lot of time talking about something which didn't happen if you know (laughs) (laughs) fair enough that's a good way to start the answer Um, but yes yeah i mean you're right in the sense that the 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 Trump story went beyond stories of sort of Russians influencing people and went into much um, more provocative claims that Trump and his campaign had actually deliberately worked with the Russians in order to to get elected and to spread disinformation and to ha- and to sort of reveal uh, secrets about Hillary Clinton and, and so on and so forth. So there, there were um, a whole bunch of, of claims which were made. The first, you know, was this idea that, you know, Trump had been suborned by the Soviet secret services years ago, but when he'd been to uh, Moscow to um, uh, try and, um, I think it was actually for the Miss Miss Universe competition in Moscow, um, that he'd been filmed on tape, you know, cavorting with with prostitutes and that the, you know, the Russian secret services had dirt, which they were using against him, um, that uh, one of the people on his campaign, a guy called Carter Page, that he'd been bribed um, to uh, influence Trump um, to, uh, um, you know, bring policy in, in a pro-Russian direction. That Trump's campaign manager, Paul Manafort, was uh, working on behalf of the Russian um, intelligence services to uh, suborn the United States and so on and so forth. Um, however, um, there's really nothing to any of this. So um, the you know, allegations about Trump, a lot of them came from this dossier produced by a former um, British agent called Christopher Steele. Um, some, um, I mean, a, a, the claims that were made were, you know, absurd in many cases. Um, B, uh, and anyone with any sense would have just dismissed them out of hand straight off because they were sort of claiming this guy, this one guy, this guy in London was claiming that he had like, you know, insights into the innermost secrets of the Kremlin, which is just you know, crazy. I mean, it, it, it's 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 not likely to be the case in the in the first instance. But then people have investigated where he actually got his information from, and, and they've actually located his main source, who was um, you know, a Russian living in in the United States, who then sourced it out to some woman in Cyprus, <laughs> who'd been fired from her job working in some bank or something there, um, and um, it, it 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 became very clear that it was it was you know just a load of fantasy uh, and you know some of the claims should never have been taken seriously so um for instance the, the one about carter page being bribed by the russians in this dossier it says that he was offered i can't remember what was something like one percent of the shares of rosneft the russian oil company which when you actually add it up is like several billion dollars right as if you know the russians are going to bribe some nobody 
who has a very junior position in the Trump campaign, several billion dollars. I mean, no, no one should have taken this seriously. But in fact, you know, this was used to to um, spy on Mr. Page. Um, uh, the uh, uh, FBI used it to get um, warrants on his telephone so that they can listen into his conversations um, and, and, and so on and so forth. And then um, there were, um, you know, for instance, the claims about Paul Manafort, his, uh, who was at one time um, Trump's campaign manager working on behalf of the Russians. Um, when you actually look into this, you realize this is, this is nonsense because Manafort was previously the uh, sort of um, political advisor of the president of Ukraine, Viktor Yanukovych. And it's often said, well, Viktor Yanukovych was pro-Russian, so that means that you know Manafort was working on behalf of Russia. But actually, we, we've had um, all sorts of documents which have been leaked about of Manafort's emails at the time when he was working in Ukraine. And what he was doing was trying to persuade uh, this president, uh, Viktor Yanukovych, to strike a deal with the EU, right? Mm. So he was pressing really hard to get, get the president of Ukraine to sign a deal with the EU, which was something the Russian government did not want. So this idea that he was working on behalf of the Russian government and supporting Trump is just a nonsense. It doesn't, it doesn't fit the known facts. But, but none of this um, seems to have the slightest impact on um, large parts of the American media who, who pumped out this you know, collusion story um, for years. Um, and you can think about um, you know, um, Rachel Maddow, who was the, the most notorious um, anchor on um, sort of American TV. Um, but then you also have you know, uh, newspapers like New York Times and so on churning out collusion stories, uh, 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 while at the same time claiming about Russian disinformation, but they're churning out all this disinformation of, of their own. Right. And like, it seemed to me like, and of course, we'll talk about the general tendencies of this sort of thing as we go along. But even in just this case study surrounding this whole story with Trump and the Russian collusion and whatnot, and it, it seemed like at the end of the day, there were sort of, I don't want to simplify things, but what you saw going on in the media, at least, and, you know, the quote unquote public debate about this is like, uh, either A, uh, there there was collusion in this instance or 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 be there wasn't the people that you know were saying that there wasn't were naturally lumped into you know either being called like you know kremlin supporters or trump supporters or just blinded by the whole situation people that said there was some sort of collusion you know they, they kept being their drum but under underlying all this one thing that i found interesting was not there was no question of as to whether or not uh russia had like a a, a vested interest or ongoing practices to do this sort of thing at that time no matter what side of that debate you were on democrat republican whatever that sort of spectrum of the debate seemed to me about discussing in that instance did trump collude with the russians but but underneath all that we know they're trying to do all this stuff anyway but whether right, but, but whether or not so so that was the interesting thing to me right is that even on that quote-unquote spectrum of po polarized debate there's that still that underlying thread that no one touched, which is, are they actively trying to do this stuff anyway? It was more like, did they successfully do it with Trump or not, right? Yes. I mean, I, I, there's a couple of things. I, I just pick out a point that you, you said earlier, which is anyone who said this is nonsense would, would get attacked as being in the pay of the Kremlin. And Sandy, this is, this is true, of course, um, in that um, if you try to put through the alternative point of view, there's, there's serious efforts to make to, to, to blacken you, which, um, which itself is, is quite disturbing. But you're, you're right that um, there's an underlining, um, you know, sort of uh, assumption, right. okay, which is never challenged, which is, you know, the Russians are out to get us and they're evil. Um, uh, uh, and this is the kind of thing they're doing, even if not in this case. Um, and you can see this in this massive report the US Congress um, brought out about a thousand pages right, on, on, on the whole, um, you know, Russiagate affair. And, and 
it, it, it's, it's very interesting because um, there's two things I noticed in it. Um, the, the, the proof of um, Russian you know, interference and um, so on and so forth is always that somebody somewhere had some links with some Russian. Right. right? Um, and just having a links with a Russian is proof that you're working on behalf of the Russian state. Which is which, you know, which is absurd if you think about it. I mean, because not every Russian is is is, is, is you know a secret servant or whatever, right? Um, but just having links with someone who had links with someone who's involved in Russia is, is evidence somehow that something suspicious. A sort of a throwback to the, the Cold War days, where you talk to a Russian, you're talking to a representative, the sort of red wave of people that are out to get you, kind of thing, right? Yeah, and then the second assumption is that um, you know uh, Russia is, is definitely you know, out to get us and, and determined to undermine democracy. Uh, and this is a very strange assumption because it's almost, it's repeated over and over again, Russia's wish to undermine democracy. But um, there's no signs of this in anything any Russian official ever said, right? You, you can, um, I, I and a, a colleague of mine did a um, research project looking through um, Putin's speeches. So we went through like 20 years worth of speeches and wrote, wrote a couple of academic articles about them. And you won't find him saying anything bad about democracy ever. I mean, he has his own interpretation of what democracy means, which we might not agree with, but um, he never says, you know, democracy is bad. We must undermine democracy. Nor does he or any other Russian official, be it Foreign Minister Lavrov or um, the Defense Minister Shoigu or anybody else ever say, you know, we must undermine democracy. Democracy is a threat to Russia. Uh, democracy must be destabilized or, or any of these things. They simply don't say it. So this idea that you know, Russia has some view that democracy is bad and must be destabilized is, is simply, um, well, it's not based on anything. That's not mean to say that Russians don't, the Russian state does not view um, the United States and, and, and Western states at present with a, a great deal of suspicion. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it, it has some secret desire to destroy us from within because they've never expressed such a desire. Um, in fact, what they always express is, is a desire for, for partnership. And when they get very frustrated from their point of view, when they don't get it, but they don't say, okay, we wish to destroy democracy. So where this idea is coming from, that they, but that's an aim of the Russian state um, is, is very difficult to, 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 determine, but it's been repeated so often that people just think it's true. Right. As far, as far as where that perception comes from, I can only I can picture people in my head when you talk to them about these sorts of things. And you'll say, like, where do you get this idea that, you know, Russia's out, out to get us kind of thing? Well, people will often say, well, look at Vladimir Putin, look at his rise to power, whether they're right or wrong. This is the stuff that they cite. Look at how the things work internally. There's corruption in, inside the Russian society. Like, look, this is not these aren't good people. And, and, and it occurs to me that Yes, like, you know, we have to throw the obligatory. Yeah, like Russia might not be perfect internally or all that great in some areas for sure in terms of perhaps the way the government handles certain internal affairs. But I think it's important to distinguish how a country is internally versus what it does externally. Right. And I think people get this flipped around, you know. So, for instance, the United States, for all its flaws, often has things that are celebrated, like, you know, it's protections on free speech and, and all this this great stuff. But that has nothing to do with how it might act in a foreign affairs avenue. So I, I think that, like, to, to your point, you're saying, where you know, where are people basing this perception on? At least to me, and you, you tell me if you think I'm wrong, of course, is that people seem to, to flip this external internal thing around. They'll point to some internal corruption in Russia, look at some news reports about how these guys might be bad over there, and then 
extrapolate and say, well, that's clearly how they're acting to the rest of the world. And all of a sudden, everyone's figured out their foreign policies or whatever's going on in secret. Yeah, I think there's something to that. I mean, because Russian democracy is, is obviously flawed in many, well, everybody's democracy is flawed in, in many ways. But because Russian democracy is obviously more flawed than, say, Canadian democracy is, um, the uh, assumptions then drawn that the Russian state is opposed to democracy per se, wherever it may be found. Right. And that they want us to be autocratic or destabilized or weak or whatever, too. In, in fact, this is not the case. Russians have a um, rather um, deep concern of stability. If you look, for instance, at the uh, foreign policy concept of the Russian Federation, which is its official you know, foreign policy statement, um, the last version of it had used the word stability 24 times. Right. I mean, <laughs> because Russian history has, you know, uh, has had, you know, various revolutions and so on, which have tended to end badly. Right. Right. So, so they, they, they value stability and that goes internationally as well as internally. Right. So they're not they don't actually see, you know, destabilizing countries and, and, and chaos abroad as a good thing. Right. It, it wouldn't. They don't think, you know, if the United States was to collapse in civil war, I don't think that's something the Russian government would particularly welcome. Right. Because because this is would be incredibly destabilizing for the whole world. Right. Um, and um, uh, for that reason, this this extrapolation from, you know, Russia is a flawed democracy. Therefore, they want to destroy our democracy is is, is not um, is not a good one. But I think that you may be right. That may be where it's coming from. So and, and I'm going to get into a couple more specific points and, and shift gears in a sec. But before we leave this sort of general high level take on on the, the question, uh, the thrust of our discussion today, what would you encourage people to do when they're thinking about answering these questions for themselves? Is Russia a threat to democracy? Is their foreign policy out to do X, Y, and Z? Is it simply, I don't want to be too flippant about, but to, to actually look at what the foreign policy is, for example, you know, is, is there a threat? Are there aircraft carriers right outside our door kind of thing? Like what's actually happening? Is, is that pretty much at a high level your answer to people just look into what's actually happening? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously, that requires more effort than most people are going to uh, um, are going to do. But I, I would encourage people to, in an ideal world. I, I think you know. I think you need to um, look at a variety of different uh, resources, right? Um, and this sort of feeds into what we're going to come to perhaps later, which is you know closing down resources in order to um, ensure some sort of conformity of belief is a bad idea because really actually we should be encouraging people to um, consider um, what the other side is is saying um, and also what alternative explanations there may be um, even if some of those alternative explanations are completely wrong I think you need you need to you need to look and, and consider I think people also need to really consider very carefully you know read when when they're being told something you know see whether the evidence really stacks up okay right. and what sort of what sort of evidence is is being provided because often it's um, what what is being presented as fact is simply an opinion, right? Right, um, uh, and um, I I think that you know people then accept it as a fact because it's in you know it's in the media or whatever, but it's actually just someone's opinion. Um, uh, and so so for instance, you know, with stuff Russia wishes to undermine democracy, I mean it, it is it may be true, but it's an opinion. It's not it's not a proven fact, right? So I think you've always got to bear in mind these things. Are, what is opinion? What, what is what is fact? And then look at the quality of the evidence which is being provided. And, and if you to look at, look, for instance, a lot of the, the collusion stuff, you'd realize that the quality of evidence was, you know, um, extremely lousy. <laughs> um, but um, I think people have a tendency simply to um, go, oh, it's suspicious, you know, and the fact it's suspicious is, is proof. 
okay <laughs> but you know there may be many explanations for why something suspicious is, is is the way it is do you think it's just because people are still approaching this as sort of like a, a ripple effect from well of course history goes farther than the cold war but in recent history you know the cold war or this idea where we're, we're the good guys they're the bad guys there's always something to be suspicious about are we still kind of dealing with the ripple effects of that sort of mentality that as we were sort of saying at the beginning of our chat no matter what issue you're talking about take take some sort of military conflict or foreign policy conflict that that underlying narrative is sort of like New York Times, Washington Post, we're the good guys. Let's talk about what the trouble over there and and they're sort of the bad guys and they're creating that conflict, regardless of, as you said, what the actual facts in play are. Yeah, but I think this is, this. I mean, everybody tends to regard themselves as good guys. So, I mean, all the things I'm complaining about, about, you know, our, our coverage of Russia, one could make the same complaint about Russian coverage of the West, right? Because, you know, we think we're the good guys, they think they're the good guys. Um, uh, and, and this is the natural, I think, tendency of human beings right to to look at things in a very very biased way and not to consider um alternative the other side's point of view um and in the case of russia i think it is it is strongly affected by um first you know um a, a long history of, of being deeply suspicious of russia which it was, of course was highly accentuated by the cold war right um and second by um the fact that it has, I think, been hyped up for um, domestic political reasons in, in recent years. So, so the whole um, Russia gate thing and all this stuff about um, Russian disinformation and Russian interference was very much a, a, a tool used um, by the Democratic Party in the United States to try and delegitimize Donald Trump. Um, and it became, you know, there was, a, there was a strong political incentive to exaggerate all this stuff, right? So, so, um, I think that um, plays into it as well. And then, of course, it plays into our, our, the, the fact that because the West won the Cold War, we, we tend to think that, you know, history of a big H has proved us to be the good guys. We are right. It's just proven. <laughs> Full stop. You know, we won that one. There you go. We, well, history we didn't decided. win it. We won the war to end all wars. You know, history has proven we're right. Um, and anybody who stands in our way is therefore is therefore wrong. Um, and that's because the Russians have a very strong view of their own national interest, which happens not to coincide with what we want them to do. That means, you know, therefore they are they are evil or something. Right? Um, whereas, in fact, they're just a, a, um, a state promoting its national interest in exactly the same way that um, we're, we're states promoting our national interest. Okay? And what is a clash of interests then is portrayed as some um, morals moral battle some sort of marvel comic movie coming to a head right yeah some people i watch on the internet said one time because they were complaining about people simplifying some of this stuff too much they said look world war ii didn't end in some sort of thanos battle on top of a mountaintop with winston churchill dueling hitler you know like <laughs> the world's a little more complicated than that so um just before we head to the break here we'll get at least be able to start our gear shift in, into sort of what the fallout and what the implications for a lot of things we've been discussing are so in, in terms of information and, and what people should be thinking about and, and what's available out there um i'm just going to start with this point here in in, uh, in my production notes here before we had our chat you pointed me to uh some work in an essay published on the government of canada's crtc site i thought this was very interesting so um th this noted that disinformation poses a threat to what essentially are three important goods for democratic systems self-determination accountable representation and, and public deliberation and I'm, I'm just listing those to say that these are things that when people say or of, of course we naturally say well that well that's good stuff 
Um, however, it notes that the policy areas used to maintain those goods are national security policies, electoral regulation, and media regulation. Big topics unto themselves, each one. Don't have time today to dive into all those in every little detail. All that to say, of course, disinformation is a threat if it's happening. And of course, you know, it, it, it's easy for us to say in a conversation at a high level, we want people to be informed. We don't want people to be listening to propaganda and make decisions based off that. But when we talk about things like national security policies, electoral regulation, media regulation, putting these sorts of things in action to make sure that bad stuff, quote unquote, doesn't happen. This is really tricky business we're dealing with, isn't it? This isn't just something we say, oh, that, this is how we'll fix it. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I think the problem here is that you know, clearly you, you, it, it is, is a good thing to have an electorate which is informed, right? Um, but, you know, what does it mean to be informed, right? Who determines what is legitimate information for people to have and what is illegitimate information? And why is it wrong for foreigners to inform us, right? I mean, if foreigners are telling us something which is true, why is that a bad thing? You know, why is that meddling, right? It's not, it's, 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 it's informing. And, and, and of course, why is foreign states trying to influence us a bad thing? I mean, we, human relationships are about influencing one another. You know, you're trying to influence people, I'm trying, trying to influence people by just by giving this talk, right? I mean, every time you talk to someone else, you're trying to influence. You're making so, a case for something. Okay, states are trying to influence one another all the time, right? It's, it's not wrong, it's not bad, and it may actually be beneficial because maybe the way some foreign state is trying to influence us is, is actually in our interests. Perhaps if we listen to them, it would help us, right? So this idea that, you know, um, information coming from outside is bad is itself, I think, highly, highly dubious, right? Now, when people would say, well, yeah, we're not interested in that, we're interested in like, obviously false information coming from outside. Well, the first thing I'd say about that is, is first, like, how do you determine what's false, not what, what's not, what's not false, right? Who's, go who's going to make that decision? And do you really want to set up some sort of guardians who can determine what we're allowed to to listen to and, and, and what we're not. So, so um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, there's problems in determining what is, what is um, true and what is false. Uh, uh, and I think that I am also highly suspicious of, of many of the people who um, are sort of at the forefront of sort of pressing this idea that we must take action against foreign disinformation and so on, um, uh, because very often they have very strong political agendas of their own, right? And they're, they're not people who can be relied on to um, determine what is true and what is false in, in a um, objective fashion. And now I've remembered the second point, which is that in any case, if, if we're thinking about um, having an informed electorate and where false information and deceiving information may come from, you know, not much of it comes from abroad, to be honest, right? You know, say there is some, you know, Russian bot somewhere or Chinese bot, you know, churning out a few Twitter posts, right? Or um, there was a, a recent thing um, past week, in the American government saying that, you know, some websites which they claim are linked to the Russian state, although they don't prove it, but they claim were saying some nasty things about um, the American vaccine, uh, COVID, right? Um, 
you know, when you look at them, they're incredibly obscure websites, which like, no, you know, just about nobody looks at, right? So this idea was like this serious, dangerous threat coming from that is nonsense. But of course, po domestic politicians and the domestic press are churning out nonsense all the time, right? So, you know, um, in, in when the time when, when Trump was president, you know, who was churning out more disinformation to the American public? Was, was it some Russian bots or was it Trump himself on Twitter? Or, 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 you know, Trump, Trump's opponents talking about collusion on TV and so on, right? I mean, so, so you know, the, the, this foreign disinformation we make such a fuss about and which is then used as an excuse to, or for calls to have like regulation of the media space and so on. It's a tiny, 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 tiny drop in, in the overall, you know, ocean of, of media and social media and everything else. Uh, and really, if we're worried about um, having an informed electorate, we, we need to be looking domestically, right? Uh, uh, and at our own politicians, our own journalists and so on, and can, rather, rather than worrying about some dangers from abroad. And I, I think very often that the effort to like paint it as a danger from abroad is a way almost of, of you know, deflecting attention, the deflecting attention from the problems in, in your own society. Um, and, and that links also into this idea that say, for instance, the Russians are trying to undermine us by um, accentuate conflicts within society. So, so you know, Russian trolls um, on the internet will pick up some, something like Black Lives Matter or something, and then, then, then post about it. And in this way, they're accentuating the divisions in our society. Um, but, you know, that's not really the problem. The problem is the divisions in our society. Right, um, you know, um, and they, those divisions don't exist because you know a handful of Russian bots have, have created them. Right, um, they exist for um, long-standing historical and other social and economic reasons. Um, and you know, pinning the blame for all this on, on say, the Russians or the Chinese or anybody else um, is really deflecting attention um, from where the real problems lie. And I think that is therefore actually potentially dangerous because it means you're looking in the wrong place for solutions. And I think that's actually an excellent place to take our break. So we're going to do that right now. Everyone, you're listening to The Curious Task. I'm speaking with Paul Robinson today. The Curious Task is a podcast from the Institute for Liberal Studies. Feel free to send questions, feedback, guest recommendations, or anything else that's on your mind to curioustask at liberalstudies.ca. As always, a special thanks to our supporters on Patreon, including Vincent Geloso, Amy Willis, and Andy Crooks. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at The Curious Task, and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to The Curious Task. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to The Curious Task. I'm speaking with Paul Robinson today. Paul, I think the first chat, half of our chat was great. We, we covered a lot. We, we started with our, our, kicked off our question, uh, if Russia is a threat to democracy and explored a lot of high level things. And we were just shifting gears into this whole idea of um, countering the alleged Russian threats to democracy, especially in regards to uh, uh, disinformation, propaganda, and so on. And as we were entering our break, you talked about at the end of the day, 
there's a lot of problems to be talked about domestically and potential Russian interference via like Twitter bots and things like that. That's kind of like a, a tiny drop in the bucket. But nevertheless, many people in the West don't feel that it's just a tiny drop in the bucket. As you know, and as you've written about, people think this is a huge threat. And I'd like to just read a, a quote to you, which is a quote of you. Uh, you, you. You said in one of your recent blog posts that the fight against alleged Russian disinformation, electoral meddling, and so on, has led to the creation of a large and well-funded disinformation industry devoted to controlling what the rest of us can read in here in accordance with the industry's own understanding of reality. So I'm not sure if you want to add a little more to that or anything, but I think, as you said, this is the idea that we're talking about the quote-unquote tiny drops, but now you're saying in reaction to this, a lot of people, think tanks, intellectuals, and so on, are, are dedicating a large portion of their time to perhaps construct something even more monstrous in certain ways than what this even threat might might uh, justify. Yes. So, I mean, what, what you've seen is once some sort of threat to national security is identified, uh, money becomes available. Right, right. <laughs> Follow um, the money. For, for, for research projects, yeah, for, for think tanks, um, and so on and so forth, who, of course, um, I don't want to find overly cynical here, but I think this is the reality of it. You know, you're, you're not going to... Um, you're not going to get your share of that money if, if what you do is say that there's, there's not a problem, there's nothing we should do about it, right? Um, and the result is you, you get a lot of uh, think tank reports have come out on you know, the, the threat from Russian disinformation and electoral meddling and so on. Um, many research projects have been, have been funded. Um, and of course, you know, at the end of this, you, you, have to, you have to give some policy proposals, right? So you, you have to come up with something, something must be done, right? Is, is inevitable uh, a result of this process, um, and and we can see this is this is happening here. So in Canada, for instance, the uh, McDonald Laurier Institute wrote um, report on um, Russian, you know, meddling and disinformation, which actually um, included a diagram about my own blog, and I had to get them to remove it. Um, they did, um, but it shouldn't have been. You know, the fact they removed it showed it shouldn't have been there in the first place, right? And and they also. Um, included in that all sorts of accusations against other people, um, you know, including some very uh, respected uh, members of, of, of Canada's um, diplomatic and um, uh, academic community who were basically accused, and business community who were accused of basically being uh, working on behalf of the Russian government. What do you feel their cause for just lumping you and, and others into that was? Just the idea that, I've, I've of course been on your blog, spent a lot of time on just the idea that you simply talk about this stuff. As you said, we don't want to sound too cynical and say, you know, they're out to get us. Because you don't share, you don't, if you don't share the narrative fact, you know, Russia's evil, point blank. Okay, you must be doing it because the Kremlin's paying you or something, right? Um, so, so business, so, so, the, so the, the Canadian business community, which wants, um, for instance, um, to, to do trade with, with, um, with Russia. Right. Naturally. And, um, would like, their, would like the Canadian government, for instance, to give export credit guarantees, which it doesn't for a trade with Russia. It does for most countries, but it doesn't for Russia. Right. And they say, well, look, you know, why not? I mean, it would help Canadian business. Um, well, that means that the, um, Canadian Eurasian Russian Business Association is a tool of the Kremlin, right? Um, that's that. That's the logic. Um, and anyway, the, the the guy who wrote this um, report, he he's now associated with some disinformation center, which has been set up with the McDonald Laurie Institute. Okay, designed to fight disinformation in Canada. So that's an example of a disinformation industry. Um, you'll see um, other examples. Um, you know, um, the Atlantic Council, which is um, 
well-known American think tank, um, not an unbiased association. You know, I mean, it, it's very, you know, it, it has a very definite position. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but um, it, it set up its own sort of countering disinformation um, unit, um, which has proved quite influential. And, and people from Associated Rat have been associated with, with um, the government as well. Uh, Facebook has taken on um, a number of people, um, for instance, uh, to fight Russian disinformation and, in, and Ukraine. Um, it has taken on the services of an organization called Stop Fake, right? Um, which is a Ukrainian um, organization dedicated to fighting uh, Russian disinformation. But the point about Stop Fake is, it's, again, it's not an unbiased organization. Stop Fake has, um, itself is very much pro the 2014 uh, Maidan revolution. It, it's, it's quite um, hostile to uh, the Russian Federation. Um, no one who, who knows much about it really thinks that, you know, if you really wanted to um, have an unbiased um, organization determining what is and is not Russian disinformation, you, you give it to stop fake, but that's what Facebook has done. The EU has set up um, an organization called EU versus Disinfo, um, which, um, you know, highlights what it believes to be, you know, foreign disinformation. Um, this has been criticized as well. Um, some British academics had um, a project um, looking into RT, the Russian um, broadcaster. And then they looked into what this organization, EU versus Disinfo, was saying about RT. And they concluded that actually the anti-disinformation organization was you know, spreading disinformation about RT because <laughs> the things it said just weren't true. Right. Right. Um, because it was done on a very sloppy basis through a bunch of volunteers who would sort of who are ideologically driven and would send in all sorts of essentially bogus reports, which weren't properly checked and so on and so forth. Uh, and also the, the um, EU disinformation organization had the same error we talked about in the first half about believing that everything which comes out of Russia comes in from the Russian state. So because some Russian blogger somewhere has said X, that means that the Russian state is trying to do Y. Or is, trying to, or I mean, is funding it, that blog or whatever's going on. Yeah, right? whether it's just some blogger. Similarly, we see the same problem with um, the organization State Department in the USA has set up. So you can see how we've got this big industry, all these organizations being set up, a lot of money behind. So I think it's called the Global Engagement Committee or something. I can't remember the exact title. Um, and um, this was in the news last week because it sort of issued a report saying that um, the Russian state was trying to undermine faith in the US, you know, the Pfizer vaccine, right? Um, and previously it had issued, the reason its logic for this was that um, three very obscure websites had supposedly said something. I actually looked one of them up. I could not find anything negative about vaccines on that website. Um, so I think it was just like one of them, one really obscure one, which had maybe said one blog post about something negative about Pfizer, okay? Suddenly it's like the Russians are trying to destroy faith in the Pfizer vaccine. And the logic here as well, that was that these obscure websites, they claim are run by the uh, Russian secret services, but they produce no evidence. And then I went and looked back at a previous report this organization had written, which listed a whole bunch of websites it claimed were run by the Russian security services. And some of them, if you know anything about Russia, you'd know that they couldn't possibly be. So uh, there was a website um, associated with the uh, far-right philosopher Alexander Dugin. Well, if you know Alexander Dugin, you know that he's not 
working on behalf of the Russian state. So the idea that like his website there was, you know, an arm of the Russian state was nonsense. Similarly, they, they claim that um, a Canadian run website called Global Research, um, which operates out of Montreal, I think, and is run by a former University of Ottawa professor, uh, Chodorkovsky, I think his name is. But that is an arm of the Russian state. Um, no, I don't read global research. Um, but um, from what I know about this guy, Chodorkovsky, you know, he, he's been saying all these things for like decades. He's, he's an old Cold War, you know, anti-Vietnam, anti-imperialist sort of socialist, right? So he, he's not saying these things because he's being paid by the Russian intelligence services or something. You know, it's just some old Cold War anti-imperialist saying what he's always been saying. But because it doesn't gel with what we like, oh, he's working on behalf of the Russian state, um, which is a pretty libelous, I think, but, but also, I mean, I think nonsensical. Um, so you can see how this big industry has been constructed, all these different organizations being set up, but their analyses are often very poor. Right? And they're demanding, um, they're saying there's a massive threat based on very flimsy um, evidence and on very poor um, analysis. And then they're demanding that um, certain action be taken uh, and for instance, if you look at this McDonald Laurier report, you see you know, a whole bunch of recommendations about how um, you know, we should control the internet and control what people can look at, which I think is quite disturbing. Right. And, and just as a general point, uh, before we move on to some specific things like that, um, I just, you know, I, what you're saying is very true. I just I have in mind something that someone I really respect once said, which is basically you're talking about what gels with whatever narrative we're talking about or not. You know, on the one hand, you can come to the table and repeat and repeat things uh, for, in any country's narrative on, on their in their media or whatever, whether it's Russia, China, America, whatever. You can come to the table from the American perspective and say Russia's a threat, China, etc. This person's a maniac. We got a bomb. Whatever the case may be, you can say that without evidence. On the other hand, if you come to the table talking about even some of the things we're talking about today or just make a claim to the opposite, you know, you have one comma out of place in a blog and everyone goes nuts, right? So I think one other thing I'm pulling out of what you're saying too, and it also links to another thing you and I talked about in our first episode, this idea of like critical self-reflection. Are we ha holding ourselves to the same standards when we're talking about one thing over here um, that we are for other people? Because if it's easy for people just to repeat things and say things as you're claiming without evidence on the one hand about a certain topic, but you know, a certain type of editorial looseness or to use a word you use like sloppiness that you're claiming wouldn't fly if we were analyzing what uh, you know a russian think tank is coming out with that's not an even-handed approach is it no it's not and, and, and you you look at the the quality of some reporting on russia for instance and it's appalling i mean just i mean really bad reporting and and, and uh you know essentially um and extraordinary claims i mean my favorite was a a headline in the, in the Daily Express, British tabloid newspaper, which was uh, along the lines of Vladimir Putin weaponizes Antarctic giant squid as a weapon of war. Okay, and you know, this, this is some bizarre story that the Russians had unearthed a giant squid from a sea under the Antarctic Ocean and were turning it into a weapon. And you, you could write this stuff and yet no one then says, oh my gosh, we've got to do something about British disinformation. Right. Or, or you can go back, of course, to, you know, the famous, you know, thing about, um, you know, Iraqi weapons of mass destruction. Right. Um, you know, which was disinformation, which led to the killings of tens of thousands of people. 
And what you and what you just say there is key though too, right? Although a lot of people will look back and and have a certain opinion about the weapons of mass destruction thing, perhaps it's even safe to say a lot of people were like most of that was probably bogus. But having said that, what's key to note is the effect of that in the time period, right? Again, that's where the narrative and the, the spectrum of debate became. You know, they might have weapons of mass destruction. What do we do? A direct invasion, air support, etc. Well, 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 that information or disinformation sort of sets the stage for for a certain spectrum of debate as you said the question is what what's the underlying narrative there and is that even credible and i think that that's very important to think of no matter what information we're dealing with or, or seeing from other sources yeah so i think i think you're right that there is a lack of critical self-reflection and an acknowledgement but um you know um yes i mean clearly you know there is a lot of nonsense out on the internet let's let's be quite clear about this um you know it, 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 it's full of trash. Um, and some of this trash comes from Russia. <laughs> I mean, it does, and let's, let's be quite fair about it. It does, okay? Um, but, um, you know, a hell of a lot more of it comes from us, right? Um, and, um, you know, I think we, we, we ought to, to look at ourselves um, before we go around, you know, saying it's all the fault of other people. And in theory, it's easy to sit here and speak a truism. You know, if if someone literally went to a different country and sold out this one's secrets, you know, should they face costs for that? That's almost begging the entire question and, and putting someone in front of a premise to have an obvious answer. But what you were clearly worried about in your blog when you've discussed this is that this idea of giving certain people sort of a free pass to either discredit or throw people into a certain category, not for you know, literally being on a CCTV camera going into the Russian embassy and giving secrets, but just for even talking about something or quote unquote, seeming to align with or sympathize with that this seems to have greatly concerned you, right? Just to how far someone could take these accusations. Yes. I mean, I mean, I, 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 um, you very clearly saw this, for instance, in this report I mentioned by the Donald Laurie Institute, which essentially, um, you know, as far as I could see, is an attempt to you, you discredit people who, who disagree with you, right? By um, implying that something's a little untoward, right? Uh, and this, this has a, a negative effect intensely in that, in, you know, people become, you know, a little, um, they self-censor, right? Um, and um, it, it limits discussion of what may and may not be said in the public space, which isn't actually in our national interest because no. I think underlying all this stuff is an idea of, like, you know, there's a national interest it's, it's, it's an objective fact. We know what it is. So that anyone who says that that's not the case is threatening state security. Well, actually, no, they just have a different understanding of what the national interest is. Okay? Because the national interest is a subjective thing. Okay? I mean, there may be somewhere out there some objective truth to it, but, but um, you know, how, how, how it's put into concrete form is highly subjective, right? So... Um, if, 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 if you say that the national interest, Canadian national security is dependent on supporting the Ukrainian government. And I say, well, actually, you know, um, by supporting the current Ukrainian government, we're a not doing Ukraine any good and B we're, um, creating a lot of problems with Russia and this isn't in our national interest. Then I, then I'm told that actually I'm undermining national security, which is not true. I'm just saying, look, your understanding of national interest is wrong. And surely it's, it's actually in the national interest to debate what the national interest is. Absolutely, right. Okay, but unfortunately, we've reached a stage where um, in, in certain subjects, it's no longer the case. And I think it's particularly true of Russia because the whole sort of Russiagate thing of the United States has, has rendered this um, sort of toxic subject. Okay, so that you, you can't even begin to suggest that, um, you know, 
we should change our tack without everybody jumping on you. And I, that, that's not, um, that's not in the national interest as far as I can see. No, no, especially for anyone who takes the sort of traditional or classical liberal principle seriously about, for instance, John Stuart Mill's on liberty kind of thing. It's not just about people should be able to say whatever they want. That's obviously part, part of that discussion. But the idea is why? Well, it, the consequence is that having an open forum and a very wide spectrum of debate and public discourse gives us the right and better answers in most cases, it's not just that we yeah. should all be able to say what we say. So you're, you're absolutely right. And the point on self-censorship ties back to even what people like George Orwell talked about. Of course, Orwell's famous for, you know, 1984, all that other kind of stuff and talking about like, you know, the, the government censoring people and so on. But he has some work out there. There's an unpublished introduction to Animal Farm, which I like a lot that I think a lot of people should go Google search where one of the things he was worried about was something you just said, and I'm picking up on it now, which is this idea of self-censorship, right? If you create this culture of uh, someone comes to the table and says something, plays either devil's advocate or says something against a certain narrative, and th they're automatically either thrown in a certain category or shamed or whatever, you create this situation where, as sort of George Orwell said, people un learn and start understanding what it wouldn't, quote, do to say in certain circumstances. And that's yeah. not a very good regime to live under either, a sort of cultural self-censorship where it's not even a, a welcoming overall to, to challenge a narrative or, or really tease out what the real answers are, right? Yeah, and we are sort of headed in that direction. But well, of course, we also have um, request demands for actual censorship in some of these reports. So, so, so we have like, um, if I go, go back to this McDonnell-Laurier report, you know, there are sort of demands there that, um, you know, um, RT should not be available on cable packages, right? The CRTC should take it off all cable packages and that um, there should be some sort of... Um, internet algorithms should, you know, basically knock RT um, and other so-called, you know, disinformation outlets sort of off your Google search so you can't find them. And that um, there should be a sort of um, color-coded thing so that, you know, good sources like say BBC or CBC come out green, okay? Whereas RT comes out with a red marker telling you that, you know, this is evil, okay? Um, and, and this is actually direct censorship because you're, you're, you're limiting what people can see. Right. Okay? And, and you're, um, you're, you're tagging it uh, based really upon the subjective opinions of, of whoever is doing the censoring and tagging. Absolutely. Uh, and as I said previously, um, you know, do you, do you actually trust these people? Do, do, do you think... Do you think that they can um, do it reliably? Now, obviously, I mean, there, come, there comes a point when something is, you know, um, some website is saying something which is, you know, downright illegal, right? Well, it's a legal issue, right? You, you, something needs to be done about it. So no, no one's saying you have total freedom of speech, um, but we, we, we've got to opinion where it's just like, well, I think, you know, Russian media are bad, so we should get them up. We should basically cleanse them off the internet. Right. Uh, and that, 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 that I think is quite disturbing. Um, um, you know, uh, and I don't think that's some place we should go. And our, our time is winding down a little bit here, but I, I actually love how we're, we're seem to be ending on this point before we go into the formal wrap up here, which is, it almost feels like a full circle, right? I mean, like the, the report that you mentioned and many others, if you, you do lots of research online, you can find people talking about things like, as you were saying, you know, like the way to combat this disinformation, Russia propaganda meddling or any other country that's a quote unquote rival like China or whatever the case may be. You know, we, we should we should monitor and detect disinformation, uh, you know, 
work with social media and tech companies to develop systems like you were talking about labeling. Uh, so basically, that's not only monitoring disinformation, but also uh, having an authority grade it and tell you what is, is valid and what's not. Um, some people have even called for, you know, expanding these sorts of partnerships within countries to uh, certain leagues of nations, if you will, like NATO and the European Union. Let's all get involved in this and really combat this whole thing. At the end of the day, on principle, that sort of kind of brings us full circle in the conversation, doesn't it? That if we're worried about Russian meddling, tilting of discussion, disinformation, it should at the very least be a little concerning to people who even might grant disinformation, etc., that it's the antidote supposedly is to have authorities here, in my personal view, they're saying, do the things that we might be complaining about other people are doing, allegedly. Yeah. Um, and it brings us then back to the question, you know, who guards the guardians, right? Right. And, um, who, who, who's going to ensure that these authorities are um, controlling all this information space in a way that we would want them to? And, and um, we don't actually have a good answer to that. Absolutely. No, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a very scary thing to say, okay, maybe, maybe we should establish a government bureau to start labeling the information I'm getting to, to tell me what, what, what is valid and not. Thank you, government yeah. bureau. No, yeah. So yeah. Um, and um, I'm sure that, you know, whatever the government bureau did would not be um, actually a very accurate um an accurate labeling. Yeah, I'd, li I'd like to see someone uh, make the argument. No, this is objective. These are philosopher kings and queens. We're good. <laughs> like, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> uh, and I think with that, we should head to our formal wrap up. So, so Paul, it was a great chat. We we've talked about a lot. Let's bring the conversation full circle, put a finer point on it for now. So let me ask, what do you ultimately hope are the main takeaways for someone listening to you here on whether Russia is a threat to democracy in the West? If you wanted someone to take away one or two or a few things about what we chat about today, if anything, what, what would that be? Yeah, I mean, first, you know, um, I'd say, you know, from years studying Russia, um, Russians don't really care if we're a democracy or an autocracy or anything else. Right? I mean, they're, they're, their primary concern is that we leave them alone, right? And, and, and what our internal systems are is, is not something which particularly bothers them. And I think anyone who tells you anything else is, is, is not actually uh, being honest. The second is that, yes, you know, obviously there is, you know, Russian media outlets and so on have their, their own point of view. That's that's quite obvious, right? Um, um, but it's true of everybody. Um, and it's not obviously the case that, you know, Russian disinformation, right, is A, um, very important in determining, you know, the way people in, say, Canada think, because I don't think it is in the slightest, okay? Or B, that it's actually, you know, more obviously incorrect um, than what is produced by our own media outlets. And finally, of course, but, but insofar as there are sort of divisions in, in our society, which, um, you know, bots or trolls or something else from some foreign currency could, could stir up, um, the, the, the problem lies in those problems, right? Not, not in someone else stirring up trouble about it. So, so the solution to our difficulties is, is, is lies at home, not um, and in resolving, you know, the underlying root causes of our social problems um, and not in censoring um, what people can say and, and what um, news sources they have access to. And I think I would finally wrap up and just say that, you know, actually this effort to sort of blacken um, uh, certain foreign news sources and anybody who associates with them as in some way operating on behalf of that foreign government um, are both libelous, but also, um, you know, actually 
I think, potentially dangerous because they help um, silence voices, which we should actually perhaps pay some attention to. I think we'll leave it at that. Paul Robinson, thank you very much for joining me on The Curious Task again. Okay, thank you for having me. This episode of The Curious Task was produced by Alex Aragona and Sabine L. Chidiak. Our executive producer is Matt Bufton. The music you heard on today's episode was created by Lindy Voppenfjord. You should check out his other stuff online. The Curious Task exists today because of donations of time and money from those creating it and listeners like yourself. Check us out on Patreon and find out how you can support us and get access to exclusive offers. I'm Alex Aragona. Thank you very much for joining us on The Curious Task.